as Aristotle never quite said, but sort of meant, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everyone. I'm Emma Williams, and today I'm talking about consistency in schools. Is your school a well-oiled, fully integrated machine? Or are people left to their own devices? Do you sing from the same hymn sheet as your colleagues? Or are you a law unto yourself? It's Saturday morning and brunch is go. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, well, it's Saturday, it's cold, wet and miserable, so what better way to spend your time than listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Before I get on to today's topic, I know I'm a sappy southerner and I don't know I'm born and all the rest of it, but I was so cold in school this week. I was wearing fleece-lined thermal leggings, which I bought last year, long-sleeved thermal vest, which I'm a long-term fan of, but never have I worn both in combination in my own classroom and still felt, well, just about okay in my classroom. And I bought this the leggings last year when we were all having to move around and I was seemed to spend an inordinate amount of time teaching in the hall uh, with all the doors open, which was basically like teaching outside. But, oh, with all the doors open, it's so freezing. And yeah, the temperature's plummeted this week. It's been a bit of a shock, but I'm sure I'll be inundated with um, messages from teachers uh, in the North telling me I don't know I'm born, which is fair enough, because that's very true. So today's topic, consistency in school. So something that I've come to quite embarrassingly late in my career, really, um, certainly when I started out, I'd say I was all about teacher autonomy. I very much felt like teaching was all about being your own personality in your own domain. And I worked in a school where I would say that approach was encouraged. So long as you got the grades, you were pretty much left to your own devices and nobody really cared what you got up to in your own classroom or how you managed behaviour, or indeed if you managed behaviour. It was a grammar school, the students were largely, broadly compliant, and the view seemed to be that if you were struggling to manage behaviour on any level, then there was something wrong with you. We all talked with the door shut, put it that way. My current school is really working on consistency at the moment, and it's something that I'm now pretty passionate about. I've seen too many young teachers, teachers new to the profession, struggling to carve their own path because they've been left to manage on their own. Without the safety net of clear, consistently enforced whole school systems to back them up. This, particularly when it comes to behaviour management, is why I believe we lose so many colleagues within their first five years. I now find that I rely 
more and more on speaking with one voice, using whole school systems and applying those as consistently as I possibly can, rather than relying on what we might call the force of my personality to run the ring. I wish I'd done it sooner. I really do. Although I have to say, I'm not sure it's possible to do unless your school is working towards that vision as a whole. But what what do you think? Maybe you work in a school where overall consistency is fantastic. Maybe by contrast, you're in a school where consistency as a whole is weak, but you're in a strong department so you can support each other that way. Maybe you don't think it's important at all and you do rely on your own personal drive for excellence and manage children's expectation and set the standard that way. Whatever your view, I'd love to hear from you. So drop your thoughts to me via uh, the text box and I will put them to our guest speaker later on or maybe later in the show you'd like to call in as well and join the conversation. Now, I found an article um, by Philip Math in the TS earlier this year, and he was addressing this particular topic. So here's an extract. By definition, he says, consistency is an adherence to the same principles in a steadfast way. Doing the same things in the same or similar situations, reacting in broadly the same way, identifying things predictably and having a set of opinions and expectations with little deviation. Doing this means that you develop routines and build relationships. It forms habits that become second nature and allows those around you to anticipate reaction and prepare for response. He says, this is especially vital in the world of education. People want colleagues who are consistent in their outcomes and the approaches they take. After all, no one wants to feel that the likely outcome of an interaction is unpredictable. This is especially true when that unpredictability comes from those with responsibility for leading us. It is this risk of inconsistency that can drive the breakdown of a working relationship to the detriment of all. So that focus on leadership at the end there is uh, something that I really want to ask my guest about because he has more recently made that move into leadership. And certainly I agree with everything in that article, but when I read it, I did feel it danced around one of the main reasons why inconsistency among colleagues is such a burden. And that's the unfairness of it. We all have to support each other And anyone who undermines a consistent approach is, in my view, making life harder, not only for themselves, but also for their colleagues. So if I think of examples that have happened to me in my career, students on report. Now, I think we could have a whole debate about whether students being on report is effective in the first place. But say we're going with it. It's it's a technique. I'm not saying it's an effective one, but it's one that many schools use. Now, sometimes I will pick up the the report of a, well, shall we say a challenging student? That's usually why they're on report. I'm period five, and I look back through the four previous periods, and they have been given yeses or ticks or however the report works for 
doing every single thing that they're asked to do first time. I mean, targets that are frankly perhaps not achievable. And again, that's a whole debate about how reports are used effectively. But given that those are the targets, and I'm seeing all these yeses and ticks from previous colleagues and thinking, really? Really? Is it just me? I mean, surely they haven't done all of this to perfection in the previous four lessons. So I say to little Timmy, uh, well, Timmy, you, you didn't sit in your seat where I asked you to until, you know, we'd had a little bit of a conversation about it. So you didn't do what I asked first time round. And of course, what do you know? Little Timmy goes berserk because all of the previous teachers haven't had this conversation with him and they haven't used the report consistently. They, they ticked yes because it's easier and they don't want to have the argument they want to get to their next lesson. And then we're back to, frankly, what is the point of the report? If we're not using it consistently, it isn't going to work. So after the break, I'll be speaking to Richard Porter, who's been teaching longer than I have, which is always saying something. He has experiences ahead of year, and in the last few years has made that shift into senior leadership. So I'm interested to hear whether his views on consistency have changed or been shaped by that. I'll be asking him his views on how important it is to maintain consistency as a school and how he goes about achieving that as a senior leader. See, I have the luxury of being an ordinary classroom teacher, so I spend more time heckling from the cheap seats rather than leading from the front. I was very conscious that it's, it's easy to heckle from the cheap seats. I wouldn't know where to start when it comes to actually leading on this issue. So uh, I'm just good at the heckling. Really hoping that Richard will enlighten me. So stay tuned. I'll be welcoming Richard to the show after we've heard from one of our sponsors. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Well, hello, unpronounceable string of letters. Is that you, Richard? <laughs> Good morning, Emma. Can you hear me? I can indeed. I can Excellent. indeed. Yes, I, I realise I hadn't changed my... Uh, my username. So uh, there we go. It is indeed me. Good morning. <laughs> I took a gamble and I'm glad it's you. I'm glad it's you. <laughs> so now, Richard, the first thing that I need to ask you is I was advertising the show on Twitter this morning and um, you say that you use Twitter solely to rant about Stockport County results. <laughs> uh, I will confess my sins. I am a, a, a passionate Stockport County supporter. It uh, helps me keep you grounded at the, the weekend and uh, I'm not too sure there's much educational uh, content to my Twitter postings, which is uh, <laughs> there about the, uh, uh, the fortunes of, uh, of, of a, a National League team. So uh, 
listeners are very welcome to uh, <laughs> follow me if, uh, <laughs> if they fit in the uh, the centre of that particular Venn diagram. So, <laughs> yeah, well, th- hey, you're in it, so um, so there well, must yeah, be others. It's, uh, I feel it's a lonely place at times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining me this morning. Not a problem, so, not a problem. yeah, great. Well, so let's ask something quite general to start with. How how would you say your school goes about achieving consistency? Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that my school is a is, is a model uh, by any means. Uh, I, I know some schools uh, have fantastic levels of consistency. I think we do it pretty well at our school, but uh, um, you know, there's always areas I think we could do could do better. I mean, that's one of the joys of being in education, isn't it? There's mm. always uh, things you can develop. Um, I'd say, I mean, I've, I've worked in three different schools. Um, I'd say my current school has a, a clear ethos. Um, the, the aims of the school uh, are, are, are very visible. I mean, they're, they're, they're printed up in every, every classroom. They're visible on the website. Um, assemblies earlier in the year are about the, the ethos and, and, and being part of the, the school community. And, and obviously that's got to come from, from the head and, 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 the, and the senior leaders. So. I, I would say that there's a, a sense of collegiality amongst the students. They, they they know where they are. They the majority of them, I, I think, like coming to the school, um, and and there's a sense of a sense of direction about being in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the, ethos there. What what mm-hmm. what is that ethos that's shared with students, and and how does that fit into how they behave and and how so the school functions? It, it it's about why we want them. Be there, what we expect them to, to achieve and to learn and to develop as young people over the three, five or seven years that they're, they're with us. Um, it's about um, consideration for others and empathy and curiosity. Um, I think the word respect is in there. But, uh, it, 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 sets, it sets the tone um, and, it, and it's something that that you, you can point to and, and, and constantly reinforce uh, with the with the students. Um, so I think in terms of their their behaviour, they they feel part of a community, and, and, and the vast majority of them enjoy being in that community and, and, and want to be there, want to contribute. Um, it doesn't work for all students, of course, but I I, I feel there's a in comparison to other schools I've worked, so I feel there's a, a, a clear sense of identity that the school badge and branding is everywhere, um, and, it, and it's something I think the students take take pride in. I mean, we had an open evening recently for our sixth form, and it, and it, and it was great to see the see the young people um, showing off their their school and their, and their department areas and, and talking very positively about about their day to day experiences in the school. So, I, th- I think when it comes to consistency of behaviour management, setting that um, the underlying tone or the foundations uh, for, for being in the building is is important before you then start thinking about the, you know, the, the, the micromanagement, if you like, of their, of their day-to-day behaviour and classroom routine, how they behave in the dining hall, the corridor and all that sort of thing. Mm. Rich, I've got a couple of people saying they're struggling to hear you clearly, so I don't know if you can move a little bit closer oh. to your microphone. Would that be okay. possible? Yeah. Oh, uh, that's a bit better. Yeah, that's how's much that? better. Right. Okay. Sorry, that's I'm much yet. better. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So you were you did mention very briefly there a comparison with where you've worked previously. Mm-hmm. Um, do you would you say that your current school 
does that ethos and that messaging better than experiences you've had in the past? Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. Um, it's a smaller school, I'll be honest. Um, it's we, we, we actually simplified the, uh, a couple of years ago now, we, we simplified the, the aims of, of, of the school that, that, uh, that we have say we have printed and displayed and we, we talk about and we we simplified it uh, and we boiled it down in consultation with the students and, and, and parents and, and the whole community we had a uh, a bit of a, a a sit down think about why we're here what what do we want to achieve as a community what do we want the young people to to get out of their of their time here and so we we simplified it because previously we'd had a whole list of aims and objectives and ethos points and it, and it was too complicated no one could memorize it um but now mm. it's it's been boiled down to seven or eight points which as i say are, are displayed in in all the classrooms around the school it means something to more some, the young people it means more to some of them than others of course um mm. but the, i think the vast majority are um take take some um pride and, and credence in uh, in why they're there yeah and what about staff engaging with an ethos because I I don't know what you feel about this but I kind of feel it's actually easier to get kids on board than staff sometimes especially if they've been in the school for a long time yeah I mean day Um, one of year seven they just you know lap it up don't they and have their places buttoned up and (laughs) hang on every word that you tell them (laughs) yeah whereas maybe for us not so much so how how do you i mean does your school have a staff ethos like for example we're moving towards the ethos of warm strict Mm. i'm not sure all staff really understand what that means yet you know it's something but that's the kind of direction that management want us to head in so do you have a similar ethos for your staff we we don't we don't use that terminology uh i must must admit um i think elements are are, are there in what we do and i'm sure in, in, in what all schools do um we, we we've used uh inset um, over the last few months to to talk about routines and getting the basics right you know post covid as, as the students came back um yeah you know we had to acknowledge that year 10 for example you know they've not had a normal school year in inverted commas since they were in year seven um mm. certainly our, our, our younger students there was uh Quite a lot of retraining to do, shall we say? Um, so yes. we, we've spent a lot of time in in, in inset and, and and staff meetings talking about how we're going to get things right with the students, and uh, and hopefully that will carry staff staff along. I mean, of course, any, any staff room. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. You've got staff who've just joined, staff who've been there a while, staff who've been there a long time, staff who've been there for life, um, and and so you've you've got a uh, a pretty disparate body. Um, to carry along, mm-hmm. and, th- and that's where leadership comes in um, to, yeah. um, to to lead, to to manage, to direct um, everybody. Um, it's 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 not an easy gig. <laughs> no, and this is you know I'm very very conscious as I as I put it that you know heckling from the cheats is, is all very well. I've got all sorts of opinions <laughs> on what management should be doing, and I'm sure, sure. Um, <laughs> quite frequently pop along and tell them as I'm sure you can imagine um, and the lovely thing about my current school is they listen and, uh, and they thank me for mm. sometimes telling them they're getting it wrong or you know they're amazing they're, they're, and I to me I don't know how you feel that's part of outstanding leadership is, ta- is, is yeah. 
yeah. listening and taking taking the flack to some degree and going, have they got a point? You know, or maybe they're just having a whinge and, and letting them do that is valuable too. But actually, have they got a point? Are they and, telling and, you something? And, and, and admitting you get things wrong as well. Yeah, I yeah. Um, so I, I'm the I oversee the post sixteen in my school, and uh, so I've got sixteen form tutors in the sixth form, and uh, I, I went in there once to a. Uh, sixth form tutors meeting, you know, bright and breezy with this great idea about how we were going to revolutionise form time. Uh, <laughs> and I could just see <laughs> going down like the, yeah. like the proverbial. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and I just got the vibes of the room. And I, you know, I said, actually, should we put this on hold? <laughs> um, right. yeah, and, 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 you know, I just knew I'd got it wrong. Um, and I'd, I'd misread the room. Was asking Do you think that's because it was a the wrong idea or just the wrong time when people too exhausted uh, for change a bit, bit of both i think i was asking too much it was a, a it, it would have uh, uh, added to the tutor's burden considerably at the, probably the wrong time um, uh-huh. and, and i was probably trying to solve the problem a problem that didn't really exist to be honest so you know you, i think part of leadership is just to acknowledge that uh, you know you, you you don't always get things right um and mm. uh, and, and you need to Listen to your staff and, and and draw on their wisdom and experience and and and, and adapt your plans. Um, and uh, you know, I've no shame in, in saying that I, I I got it wrong on that occasion. Yeah, but then, as I say, to me, I I have found without fail that if somebody says that to me, my respect for them rockets because you know it's those that can't can't do that. Um, when you know they're getting it wrong, it's blatantly <laughs> obvious they're getting it wrong, and they and they won't listen. Well, I think I I, I will quote a previous head from many, many years ago who once said to me, you are getting dangerously close to questioning my judgment. Gosh. And you think, yeah. okay, I kept that email. Um, but, <laughs> and, it, and it summed up his, his attitude and his inability to, to listen. And of course, yeah. for me, it took me years to realize, actually I'm working with someone very different now and actually they value mm-hmm. me popping along and saying, oh, have you thought about this and they rely on it they need it they because they don't obviously especially the head mm-hmm. can't possibly know what's going on all the time in their school yeah. it's just yeah. not possible they need people to be telling them mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, uh, i think moving school and, and and going into leadership in a in a different school it's it, it, it's very tempting to to want to make your mark and and to you know, institute changes straight away and to pick out perceived flaws and faults and change things but uh you know one of the things that i learned when i when i moved to my to my current school is there's an awful lot of good stuff going going on and and and, and listen to the experience of teachers who who've been there and and, and seen it and you know, know the school inside out and 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 so i did do a lot of listening in in, in my first year um listen to everything but uh, I, I listened to a lot of what they what they had to say and you know and i tried to sort of rein in the temptation just say Right at my previous school, we did it this way, and that mm-hmm. was better than here. And so we're going to change it this way. And uh, you know, you've got to uh, you've got to to evolve and 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 have have your colleagues on board by by respecting their their position and their opinions. Yeah, it is so important. But then, of course, coming back to that that elusive consistency, yeah. what do you do about those members of staff that are just a law unto themselves? Yeah. How, do, how do you deal with it? <laughs> I mean, genuine question, because I've got no idea. Uh, so, so one of the things I oversee is is, is sixth form 
tutor program and and and, and PSHE and that, you know I've I've got sixteen members of staff there and 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 some are brilliant and very consistent and will follow everything you need to do to the letter and and, and others have a more laid back approach. Um, <laughs> so on a, on a, just on a sort of daily management, I you know I I, I go and visit the tutor groups showing. During, during form times and during their PSC sessions, and uh, I, you know, I can't get around all sixteen. So there, there are some that I visit more regularly than others. Should we say? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's about um, encouragement and modelling and talking about successes and 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 how how to achieve that. And 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 and, and yeah, I mean, I've had sort of one fairly blunt conversation, you know, with. Uh, uh, in, in my time in, the, in this role of a, a, a tutor who just wasn't following what was being asked of them, basically. Mm. Um, um, it, it's uh, my philosophy is it's important to get staff on side. Um, they'll, they'll work better when they're when they're on side. Um, so I try not to be too um, adversarial uh, in, in, when it, when it comes to dealing with with colleagues who I have to deal with every day. Um, um, so is that is that difficult though when somebody is not complying does it mean it's difficult to step into making yourself unpopular by saying look you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing it's 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 not easy um and it, it, but it's but it's it ultimately it's part of the role and and, and i just I, I keep thinking about the where the students fit into all this it's it's unfair on the students if if, if one group are getting a much better deal than than another group um, it, it's not really about the, the teacher's ego at that point. It's it's about the fairness to the students, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess that's what you have to come back to when you like, when you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. It's not very much fun. But fundamentally, I guess that's the vision leaders have to hold in their heads, isn't yeah, it? Ab- ab- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All yeah. about the students. So, how far does? Um, so you've talked about managing form time. Because obviously, that's part of your uh, your role. How far does? Um, your school insist on consistency of, of routine for sort of, en- of sort of entry and exit of the classroom for example do you have any specific things that you ask staff to do um so in our school we we have what we call a, a series of red lines um which are the non-negotiable behaviors so so one for example is running in the corridors um it's a particular issue at our school we, we've got a lot of narrow corridors and windy staircases and um, so we have to move around the building calmly. Um, we, we, we don't have a move around in silence system, but uh, uh, we, we, you know, we, we're conscious of the need for, for calm behaviour in, in, in the corridor. So we have these, we have these red lines, uh, which again are, are, are printed and, and the students know them and, and the teachers know them. So if a student is caught running in the corridor, the, 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 there's no excuse for it. Uh, and, and they automatically have a have a sanction, what we call a, a conduct detention for, for that. Um, do we have routines for the start of an end of every lesson? We don't. Uh, I must admit, across the school, staff are encouraged to, for example, uh, have the students stand behind the chair, tuck the chairs in, and be dismissed table by table, row by row, or whatever the layout of the, the room is. Um, so that is encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't work for all staff and in, in, in all contexts. I mean, for example, the students who are in the drama studio. Um, mm-hmm. But classroom teachers are strongly encouraged to, to have 
that consistent calm end to lessons um, because that will then feed into their behavior in the corridors um, if they're if they're leaving a classroom calmly they'll probably go to the next lesson calmly yes if you allow them to just bundle to the door when, when the bell has gone then guess what they're going to charge down the corridor mm. um so we, we try to be to be rational in these red lines and we explain to the students why we have them as well yeah um, so we don't want you running in the corridor because if we find you this is what will happen um so there are those what we call our, our red lines which apply across the whole school um and all staff i, I think apply that pretty well um because they're very clear and very visible and talked about um at the start of the year um within the classroom we're probably not as um insistent on um consistent routines as as possibly some schools are mm. um, um it, it it seems to work though and uh, i was interested in what you were saying in the introduction emma about uh you know the, a teacher's own personality versus um consistent standards across the school and and we we, we try to to hit a happy medium uh, in the school by not being too um impositional about how teachers conduct their lessons but just say look this is what we want to achieve overall calm corridors this is how you can help achieve it this is what the students will expect we recommend you do it and i think most teachers do yeah it's interesting i think i think it's something i've massively changed my mind about mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's it's to do with shifting from a grammar school to a comprehensive where there was perhaps a, a wider range of, of student background and challenges um but also I, I think it's more doing more wider reading about challenges that other schools face mm -hmm. and changing my mind as well about what what young people need so I, I i was always very much kind of oh well if you just like you know connect with them through some kind of i don't know magical brilliance like you know get them to stand on their desks and shout oh captain my captain <laughs> um that you know everything would be wonderful um and i don't head walks past the door <laughs> But if you but you're inspiring them, so that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, so I remember a particularly horrifying moment of I'm a, I'm a geography teacher, and uh, geography teachers listening will will know you, you can do an earthquake drill. So I had the kids <laughs> kind of diving under the desk, and I had uh, the sound of an earthquake rumbling over the speakers, ju just as a, a party of governors were touring around the school. Um, so. Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, I think they uh, I think they sort of, they, they did lots of nodding and smiling when I explained what was going on. Anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> sort of left with my head in my hands <laughs> <laughs> oh it's always the way isn't it they always pop by just at the worst moment just at the wrong moment yeah, yeah a, a friend told me once that um somebody had farted in the lesson and as you know that can cause all sorts of problems <laughs> and they just as the students had all sort of gone oh and all sort of piled over to the yeah. windows again <laughs> visitors were being shown around so. yeah of course of course yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah we've all been there um yeah so as i said um i think now it's that that what do young people need and i think they feel safer and more secure especially our for example very vulnerable autistic students will feel mm. safer if they know um the same thing's going to happen in each lesson or similar things are going to happen in each lesson and that when somebody says something they mean it and when somebody says this, it means that. And if you see what I mean, whereas mm. I think, I don't know, that's, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because every, you do want to allow teachers to show their personality. I mean, we don't want to lose 
no, lose no. that. But but it's it is it's it's so difficult with that with that balance. So obviously in your school it's working just to say a generalized principle of we want things to be calm mm-hmm. and we'll be asking questions if they're not. I guess that's the is that the sort of implied. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I'd say so. Yeah, you know, it's interesting what you, how we define consistency. You, you've got to think about the consistency um, from each teacher over the year. So, mm-hmm. so students who arrive to my lessons, they know what what to expect. They know what I want from them. They know how the lesson's going to end. And I think they would find it difficult if I if I if I wasn't like that every lesson, you know. So if I was some lessons more relaxed and some lessons stricter, and you know, if they didn't know what to expect, I think that could be quite quite disturbing. Um, yes. Um, you know, especially to, to some young people. So I think you, you've got to be consistent over the year, whilst recognising as well, of course, that your relationship with a with a class can evolve. Um, so how you how you are in lessons one, two, and three with a. a, a a new year eight class is probably not how you're going to be towards the end of the year. So um, once you've established your standards, then yes, of course, things could. But, but fundamentally, I think what the students want and expect is, is consistency from you. Um, and then the other way I think about consistency is from the students' point of view during the day. So they're going from lesson to lesson. Um, it's only right that they'll have five, six, seven, how many teachers they see in a day, that they'll, they'll meet different personalities. But underpinning that as I say there are some red lines and non-negotiables and, and, and behaviors that are not accepted anywhere in the school um, regardless of how an, an individual teacher might might run their own lesson um, so mm. I think consistency is you know it's sort of multi-dimensional in a way isn't it it's, it's consistency over the year um, it's consistency across the school uh, it's consistency between the students in the class um, and 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 it's a it's a tricky one, and no, nobody wants to work in a sort of robotic, personalityless institution. You know, they, they they want some vibrancy, and they want to be taught by interesting people, and and mm. and, and that's good. Um, but at the same time, there's got to be a structure of right. This the, these are these are behaviours that we expect from you, um, regardless of the lesson that you're in. Yeah, and I think you could. Uh, you uh, a couple of minutes ago, you you mentioned moving around in the corridors, and you did sort of allude to the the silent corridors. And when that debate was raging, um, when more and more schools, particularly in London, were bringing in silent corridors, it was only then that I remembered I went to a school where the corridors were silent. Okay. I'd completely forgotten. So yeah. I found it very amusing, all this kind of, you know, it's child abuse and, yeah, I mean, some absolutely ridiculous things yeah. uh, being said. Whereas I'd literally forgotten um, that we had we weren't allowed to talk in the corridors. <laughs> and it only came back to me when I was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. We, we weren't allowed to talk in the corridors. And um, so obviously schools that do that kind of thing, it's usually because... They want to completely iron out behaviour problems. They really want to go for calmness. I guess it's also saying it's much easier to say we have silence than to say you need to be quiet because exactly. then everyone's yeah. interpretation of what quiet is is exactly. yeah. Yeah. you know, and it does, it can get very complicated. But mm. I must admit, I think what these schools do are wonderful. When I read about it, and I think that's just incredible. They've all got this amazing shared ethos, and they always do and say the same thing. I. From the outside, I just think it looks incredible, and I think the students are getting an amazing experience. But I'm going to be honest; I don't think I could do it. 
I really I don't know about you but I don't think I could cope if I'm if I'm being really honest with myself sorry cope with with being that consistent with sort right. of okay. completely yeah. joining an ethos and yeah. I think it's just I'm not a joiner I'm not very good at sort <laughs> of, you know I I'm not very good at uh, although I believe in consistency and I'm really on board with mm. with mm. that I I'm not sure I could be that coherent yeah and I, I, I know it's been a, a, a massive debate, the whole, you know, silent corridors and, and, and that sort of quite rigid imposition of, of, of standards and ethos. And I think you're right. I think one of the joys of teaching is it's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I love being in the classroom and I love doing a variety of dynamic lessons and getting the kids interested and creative. And I, and I just worry that if a school is... is too rigid and then it could it could squash that I, I don't know I, I'm not I'm not speaking from experience here because I've never worked in a school that, that, that has that sort of that that that, that rigidity of ethos um, I, I, I feel it perhaps wouldn't be for me um, but I don't know I've not experienced it maybe, maybe I should maybe I should go and, and, and visit and experience a school like that certainly worth going to having a look I think and I mean yeah, I've, I've yeah, watched yeah. sort of various film clips and I think I think it's amazing. I just, I, I guess maybe we've both been in this game too long <laughs> to, <laughs> to kind of switch. I think it would be such a big ask to kind of fit mm -hmm. into a place like that. A every teacher I know personally who's shifted to a school like that has has done it quite early in their career, or even, or started yeah. in a school like that, then yeah. actually tried going elsewhere and and, and went back because yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think actually to 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 turn it around once you've experienced that kind of cohesiveness it actually probably feels quite chaotic to be out of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I suspect we've just been in this this game too long so we've got a few a few comments um mm -hmm. so Bia says surely teams should be working together towards similar goals I mean I think that's yeah. exactly what you've yeah. been saying isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah um and she also says um, what if staff are trying their best in a school to apply consistency, but leadership isn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I think we've all been there at certain points in our career where where leadership, frankly, either aren't pulling their weight or aren't or aren't aren't being consistent. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'd like to think that as a, a leadership team, we we work very closely together. Um, we're visible. We're, we're we're out and about in the school at uh, at lesson changeovers and and, and, and breaks and um, in the dining hall at lunchtime. Um, so that I think uh, it's important that SLT are are there and, mm. and they're not hiding in hiding in offices. Um, oh yes. Certainly, yes. you know, most break and lunch times and before school, I'm out and about in the corridors as are my colleagues. Um, we, I guess, like a lot of schools, we we cluster um, tutor rooms together. So all the year seven form rooms are in, in a corridor. So there's a head of year seven there, um, assistant head of years, and then a member of SLT would would would, would do the rounds before school and, and, and at break time and, and lunch. So um, I think it is. You know, I think, as your caller alludes, it's it's crucial that the SLT are, are seen as a team um, and, are, and are supportive. Um, and, and, are, and are visible as well. I think I'm sure we can mm -hmm. think of uh, uh, SLT colleagues in the past who maybe have hidden in their offices and, uh, and not being quite as visible as, as they should be. I think it's, it's important that the students 
uh, as well as teachers see, see SLT out and about um, uh, and being prepared to, to, to muck in. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it's 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 so. It, I think it's about the most important thing, and, and I think it, it, it's a very quick way to breed resentment. Mm. If you know expectations on managing behaviour are put onto staff, and then leadership are nowhere to be exactly. seen, and, and, um, and, don't, and don't back it up. I'm, yeah, I'm and and uh, one of my real bugbears is when they're nowhere to be seen at particular time. You know, when there's mm-hmm. behaviour. For example, wet wet break. You know when you know it's it's always a nightmare, and it's going to be horrendous. And you're suddenly, where are they all? <laughs> um, Fr- and a, Friday lunchtime when we have uh, the the horrible combination of chips and rain. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the time to be around. <laughs> Instant chaos. Yes. Um, yeah. And and I, remembering again a certain uh, shall not be named head teacher of the distant past. Who used to take the long way round to avoid the canteen queue? Uh, to, to, you know, because because he couldn't handle it basically. Um, and you sort of, you know, any shred of respect that you had at that point um, just crumbled because it were again not working as a team, not modelling, not yeah. not leading from the front, not not doing what frankly he was asking his staff to do. Um, I actually really like doing corridor patrols and, and, and doing the lunch queue because as somebody who's stepped out of the classroom a bit, uh, I mean, I still have a, a portion of my timetable, but I, I, I do miss the classroom a bit and, and, and doing the doing the break duties and helping out with the lunch queue and, and, and being visible at the end of the day, it's, it's a nice opportunity just to, to chat to the students um, mm. and, and just to get, get to know them and, you know, and, 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 and talk to them and, and, and listen to their their concerns and what's going well and what they liked and talk about the sport at the weekend and an opportunity to congratulate someone who's been in the school play or whatever. It's just it's mm. just a nice opportunity to to have some engagement with the with the students as well. So I, I, I actually really quite like uh, being out and about on break duty and uh, um, and I think it's, uh, it's it's it is important for SLT to be to be visible um, and, and and to be seen to be applying what needs to be applied, um, but also to to show that humane face with the students as well yeah i think i think it's huge like building those relationships and 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 again modeling to staff how that's done you know whatever your school ethos is modeling to them for example yeah. the warm strict what that actually means that yeah. you do stop a student who's right go whoa hey what's going you know but the way you speak to them is then uh, i've learned a lot you know watching our best leaders and the way they interact with challenging students yeah. Yeah. um yeah in the corridors and then thought oh i'll say that next time you know it's Mm -hmm. um it's really impressive watching watching good leaders do their thing um yeah yeah, i mean hugely important to be visible for for the staff and and for the students Uh, absolutely i mean for for someone who's just starting at the school or a young teacher i mean to 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 supervise the lunch queue is a pretty pretty daunting ask um Mm -hmm. Dozens and dozens of people descend on a down a corridor at once, and it, yeah, it, it, it can be very intimidating. So uh, I think it's, it's very especially important to support those those colleagues who would you know, value that presence around them. Yeah. Now, one of my latest obsessions, um, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I have no life and spend my time thinking about this sort of thing, because again, it's it's watching those schools that are managed like a well machine and thinking, wow, how do they do that? One of the things they do is boot camp for the students before term begins. Okay. So the first day for each year group, which I think generally they stagger and they sort of come in one by one. 
mm-hmm. is this is how we walk down a corridor. This is how we line up. This is how we hand out books. I mean, literally modeling all of those mm-hmm. basic behaviors. And one of the things I think big, especially big schools struggle with is we'll do something like, right, so um, year nine have got exams. They've never done exams before. Um, and they just all need to line up in the car park. So that's eight forms, boom, boom, boom. See you there. And you get there and you think, okay, how do we do this? <laughs> and it, um, it can be um, less than organized, shall we say. So how does your school manage that? you mentioned it being small. Is it less of a problem because of that? Um, I don't think so. We're, we're on a, we, we, we've got 700 pupils at that size of our school. We're, we're on quite a quirky site. Um, it's so not a, that small, 700. It's well, fair. no, no. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's the smallest of the schools I've worked in. So it, <laughs> it, it felt small to me when I arrived. And <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's quite a quirky site. We've got every type of classroom and, and corridor from, from an old uh, 19th century facade of the school and uh, to laboratories that we've just built two years ago. So um, so we, we've got quite a, an unusual site to manage the students moving around. Um, do we do a sort of preterm boot camp? Uh, no, but we have year sevens in for an induction day and new sixth form students in. Um, and movements around the school is, is one of the things, of course, we talk to, to the year sevens about. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had to do, I mean, I mentioned earlier about a bit of uh, retraining post, post-COVID. Um, yeah. It's not really post-COVID, but after we were able to go back to school, um, and and of course during um, uh, during uh, part of the COVID period, we'd had our key stage three classes, especially being taught in their form rooms all day to to, to minimise movements around the school. So teachers were moving around, uh, and not the students. Um, so having having year eight, you know, sort of last thing in the afternoon, you you arrive because they've been sat in there all day. Yeah, um, and 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 we're sort of climbing the wall. So it showed the, the, the necessity for, for moving around the school. I think. Um, so you know, we we've had to do a bit of retraining of them, post um, or you know, since since the return to school. Um, but we we don't do a, a, a preterm boot camp. But of course, the the early assemblies in the year are focused on behaviour expectations and conduct around the school and and, and so on. So. Um, mm. But yes, we it, it's year sevens and year twelves we have in before the start of term. Yes, we we um, we have, we do certainly have started to do that with year seven, and that I think is fantastic. So that they have that day, and they came in this year before everyone else, and I thought it was really yeah. good that they were shown. Okay, you know, this is how we how we do things. Um, actually, again, <laughs> I don't. I mean, the boot camp thing, I think, again, is brilliant, amazing. Um, if if schools can do it, but actually again, it's it's that clarity with staff because I think again the problem is it's not necessarily that the students don't know what to do; it's that the staff don't know what to do. So we arrive, go well, hang on. So so where where's the first form? Uh, is it this side or that side? And you think, oh my god, you know, and instantly you've got you've got potential chaos. Mm. Um, so it's and it, and it must be so difficult for leadership because again you've got like you say staff that have been there forever and know the ropes and maybe aren't too keen to change how something's done new staff who've got no idea and and there's so much assumed knowledge in a school Mm. isn't there Mm -hmm. all the little tiny things that nobody bothers to tell you absolutely Absolutely. because 
they assume you know and uh, I forget with new staff I think oh yeah of course they don't know that <laughs> and, and, and some terminology as well yes <laughs> sorry do, do what <laughs> go where which, go where which yeah the what <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and so so how does your school induct new staff for example is that um so we have uh, right? yeah so we have an, an induction day um for staff um and the, we we have a one of the members of uh, SLT is in charge of uh, uh, logistics, so he's just got the most amazing set of spreadsheets on his wall, timetables all, all over his wall, um, and he's uh, he he oversees the logistics and day to day operations of the school. So he he leads an induction day for for, for new staff, um, and it, I mean it's a it's a pretty full on full on day for them. I think you know so it's everything from. You know, a walk around the school to a discussion of how lunch times work, and you know we talk about the red lines and behaviour management and IT systems, and and we we try to cram in as much as we can on on that first day. Interesting, just this week actually, we were just discussing at SLT whether we needed a, another inset day at the start of term. We we have two at, mm-hmm. at the start of term, um, and we were just talking about do do we need a third inset day before before the start of term? Um, right. We we didn't come to a decision, but there's there's pros and cons. Uh, I, I think certainly think there'd, there'd be value in uh, uh, in having some extra time at the start of term, moving one of the inset days from later in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think there's with there's so much to do. You've got to get in all your safeguarding and all these other things that you you have to tick off, and and then that often leaves very limited time for what you were just talking about, which is making sure staff are really yeah. clear on on, on the, routines the, and the micromanagement. But yeah, we can actually yeah. make a real difference to the the, the, the students' behaviour. Totally, totally. It's 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 sweating the small stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That actually makes a massive difference. Yeah, and, and, it, and knowing the systems in the school. So yeah, if yeah, if somebody's got their shirt out, is there a consequence to that? What do I do? Do I just tell them to tuck it in? Do I report it? Where do mm-hmm. I report it? How do I report it? And there's a lot of stuff to take on board uh, for a new member of staff at the school. And uh, but it's it's important because of course some of the students they'll. Uh, They'll take a mile, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'll be interested to get your take on this because it's something I note pretty much across the board and whenever I talk to teachers in whatever setting they work in, and I think it's true where I've worked, I think one of the issues when you enter senior leadership is you become very used to students doing as you say, <laughs> for all sorts of reasons. Presumably, you're experienced by then. You, you've most got good at yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time, um, you know. Generally speaking, they do they they do as you tell them. Now, I I worry when senior leaders don't use the systems that they're asking everyone else to use. Mm. So, for example, like you you just gave an example of the shirt being untucked. Now, if the rule in a school is that's a demerit or whatever the school calls it so often it slt don't do that they don't follow through with the with the sanction because they used to just go hey and the kid immediately does it and then and they're also very busy and they're rushing off to deal with some major safeguarding issue or whatever and they don't follow it up with the sanction what is that something you think you might be guilty of or not uh i'm 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 sure we've all been been guilty of it. Uh, I, I must confess, sometimes I've, I've just passed things to, to heads of year to to, to deal with. Um, I, I think it's crucially important that the SLT model model the right behaviour, um, not only in front of the students, but 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 in front of the staff as well. Because 
SLT ultimately are responsible for setting the, the ethos and the, and, and the tone of, of how the school operates. Mm. Um, it's crucially important that SLT, as we said earlier, a visible and, and, and a consistent. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you're just incredibly busy. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I, you know, sometimes, yeah, I've had to say, this instant, you know, to pass it on to the head of year, and are you okay to deal with it? And I think that's that, that, that's that's okay, provided the students know that 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 senior leader has clocked what you were doing, and 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 he or she has followed it up, and there will be a consequence. By the yeah, I mean that that is using the system, isn't it? I mean, I mean yeah. it's not necessarily you know the fact that you have to press the button or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, question from the floor do you have centralized detentions in your school we do yeah yeah um so we have a we, we have a, a daily what we call a conduct detention so this is the you know the, the shirt out running in the corridor type, type behavior so it's yeah silly non non-malicious sort of over excitable boisterous you know just crossing one of those red lines that we have uh, so so we have a, a daily conduct detention so it's in a room in the school um, we, we we log it on our management system the student gets an email you, you tell them verbally you know you're in conduct mm. detention tomorrow they, they know what that means um, yeah. it, it gets logged um, the tutor in the head of year sees that so they can see the uh, see the pattern um, once they clock up three of those then they serve the third one, and then they have an after-school detention as well, and that's centralised. Um, and then we also rarely, but we do use Saturday morning detentions as well, um, and that's that's given by uh, SLT, sort of in conjunction with heads of year, um, and that's for the, you know, the sort of pers persistent malicious behaviour. But they're, they're they're pretty rare, to be honest. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so centralised detentions, absolutely game changer. Um, you know, I've worked oh, at school previously where. You know, felt I, I was giving up my time. Well, I was giving up my yeah. time to yeah. supervise detentions and and you know a frustration for for all concerned really. But yeah, it's conduct detention. You just log it on the system, which you have open on your computer all day anyway. Um, yeah. um And 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 the students. And then the uh, it's staffed by um, I, I, either a member of middle management or, or one of the SLT. So mm -hmm. a head of department, a head of year actually supervises the, the detention yeah but yeah we've moved down that road and like you say compared to because the reality is if you're really busy and especially if you are actually being ground down by poor behavior yeah. and we've all yeah, been there yeah. um you end up just you you let things go because you think you know what i can't give up my lunch as well i'm too tired i need yeah, a break or, you know, and so i've you, got to go yeah. or i've got yeah running a club or we've got a meeting yeah. or you know all the other yeah. demands on our on, yeah. on, on our time so yeah absolutely i mean um whole whole school centralized attention i, I don't uh, i'd be interested to hear the reason for not not having that system yeah, in school, yeah. i think i think that's that's very true yeah uh, absolutely um why on earth would you would you not have them yeah, yeah. well um i do hope you well you're going to stay with me um mm -hmm. But we need to go to the news okay. but um you must stay because after the news we have my regular slot called teachers confess and it's a good one. <laughs> so I'd like to get your reaction to this one today. It's quite a good one. Um, uh, if you have something to confess in total confidence, 
do send your confessions to me. My DMs are open on Twitter. So you, you can, can contact me, me in private. Me, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's in confidence, so don't worry. Um, yeah, I'm you I'm using somebody else's. Um, so yeah, do you get in touch though, Richard or anyone else? because um, I'd love to hear from you. Today's confession involves the perils of uh, trying to be down with the kids and okay. talking their language. So yeah, don't go anywhere. Here's the news. Brilliant. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a press release issued today, the UK government announces new expert attendance advisors are to begin work to reduce pupil absence. The advisors are described as having decades of first-hand experience and will work with local authorities and multi-academy trusts who have been identified as having the potential to benefit from support. The Department for Education has also identified schools with some of the greatest decreases in absence rates over a five-year period prior to the pandemic and invited them to share their approach with other schools in the coming weeks and months. Schools Minister Robin Walker said in the statement, the department is channelling all its efforts to provide support and guidance to help schools and trusts to take action to increase attendance. He did, however, also recognise that COVID is still with us and is causing some unavoidable absence, but that this made it even more important to take action to address avoidable absence from school. The press release outlined that the new advisers would draw on their expertise as former head teachers and local authority leaders to support with approaches tailored to schools' individual needs. This could include advice on how data and partnership working could improve or how local authorities can make sure all parts of their services are focused on breaking down the barriers to attendance. In the northeast of England, the Evening Chronicle reports that automotive giant Nissan has used evidence to a House of Lords Committee on Youth and Employment to highlight what it sees as shortfalls in the national curriculum. The report states that Nissan has hit out at the disastrous education system in the UK, which it says does not equip young people for jobs in manufacturing and engineering. The House of Lords Committee has sent a long list of recommendations to the government to tackle what it calls a blight on our society. This includes a call for the appointment of a young people's commissioner to champion the voice of people aged 16 to 24. The committee also highlights the UK youth unemployment rate, which, at 11.7%, is worse than many other comparable countries, and added that 70% of job losses during the pandemic were of people under the age of 25. In a statement, the chair of the committee, Lord Shipley, said, Our report is about harnessing the talents of every young person and giving them the skills they need to get a good job and a sustainable career. Finally, with the Christmas break approaching, head teachers are reported in an article in the Eye to be calling the request to set up COVID-19 testing stations in schools not reasonable. They say government have left schools with too little time to order test kits to be used upon the return of pupils after the Christmas break. The request came in an email from the Department for Education on Friday, with a deadline for ordering tests set for Tuesday next week. 
Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy at the Teaching Union ASCOL, said that whilst testing was important in reducing the risk of transmission of the virus, the responsibility for managing the testing should shift to public health authorities with schools limited to providing space for test centres and communicating with students. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. Welcome back everyone. Well, it's now time for my regular feature, Teachers Confess. If you have something you'd like to get off your chest, something you said, something you did, something you forgot, we all have them and they can haunt us forever. If you'd feel better bearing your soul to the nation, then this is the place to do it. My DMs are open on Twitter, so you can contact me on there. Or you can send me an email address and I'll happily uh, send you uh, mine. So, today's confession is from a maths teacher whom I will call Nicholas. My first year eight lesson, I asked my class what they did in the summer. Went around the room chatting with different students, but it was out loud so others could hear. Oh, fantastic, John, you went on holiday to Nepal, and so on. One kid said, oh, I, I didn't do much, just stayed at home. I, I didn't want them to feel bad, so I said, oh, cool, you just stayed at home and, like, Netflixed and chilled. That was me trying to be hip and cool. A year eight girl from the other side of the room said, so that's really inappropriate, that means she had sex. Never going to use kid lingo ever again. And he says, it gets worse. I had been saying it to kids in my previous school. They just laughed and I thought I was cool and funny, but they probably just thought, what a weirdo. <laughs> so, Richard, uh, do we think Nicholas should be forgiven for his outrageous faux oh, Blimey, well, I've just, I've just learned something now. I didn't realise that, <laughs> that was the lingo. <laughs> Oh, so you could have used that very well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm now sort of sweating, racking my brain, thinking if I have, actually. Yeah, uh, just to clarify, it doesn't actually mean you've... Well, put it this way, um, you'd be on your own. Right, OK. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. That's gotcha. what it means. <laughs> yeah. So even that year eight student was a little bit confused about the lingo. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, have you ever fallen foul of trying to use uh, street speak with the kids? I, You know, I just... I, I, I just avoid it uh you you, yeah. you get to an age where you, you just realize that you know stop stop trying <laughs> yeah it's, it's embarrassing isn't it yeah, yeah i think i think um yeah i probably did when i was younger um now i just sort of go what does that mean <laughs> yeah yeah just yeah and yeah. uh you know and I, and I say to them look you know when you're my age you know there'll, there'll be language that your children will be using that uh you know you you don't want to step into so yeah yeah indeed definitely uh these things are very much best avoided but a certainly easy uh, easy pitfall to fall into when you're a young teacher i think yeah. <laughs> trying to be uh down with the kids down always a mistake because yeah. let's face it even at 22 you're already ancient to to them to some degree absolutely absolutely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh well we talked one, one of my year sevens last week we I don't know how or why we even got into this conversation, but they were trying to guess my age. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, I'm 48, and uh, uh, I wanted 35, and I thought you are instantly my favourite student. 
Fantastic. Well, it's better than 55, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really dangerous game. That one. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's sort of one of those conversations you sort of regret entering into. So. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we talked a lot about, um, really, so I guess the focus has been consistency in whole school routines and ethos and behaviour. But what about consistency in the teaching itself, you know, curriculum and how that's delivered? As you me- you mentioned, you're a geographer. Mm-hmm. So that must be really challenging in your subject because it's changing I, all the time, isn't it? Well, I think the, 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 the nature of the subject is is an opportunity to to be creative and, 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 and bring variety in. I think there's a, there's a difference between consistency in terms of routines and behaviour um, and, and, and consistency in, in teaching style and, 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 and learning methods and uh, the actual content of the lessons. I mean, one of the joys of my subjects is there's, there's so many opportunities to, to, to teach in a very creative manner. Um, you know, when you're teaching about earthquakes to year eight, one lesson, and you're talking about population demographics to year 11 and, and so on. And, and so there's because it's such a, a there's a broad scope to the subject, you can you can there's a real opportunity to, to be creative. I think that's 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 totally different from behaviour expectations. I mean, even if you do a, mm. a a wacky you know diving under the tables, pretending to do an earthquake drill type <laughs> lesson, I mean, you, you you still end the lesson on the right note, don't you? you, you regardless of uh, how you've delivered the uh, delivered the lesson. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, what I meant was, you, obviously, you especially when you're teaching in a, a subject where there's going to be several teachers, which obviously in the humanities you always will yeah. be, you've all got to de- fundamentally deliver the same content, mm-hmm. haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously in, in, in your different ways. But how, how tricky is that when that content is so fluid? So, for example, things have just happened in the news. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a volcano has gone off in some obscure island that you've, you know, uh, how how... How easy is it to main that, maintain that consistency, but also keep the subject exciting and fast moving as it is? Um, I, mean, I think a, a strong department will share and centralise resources. Um, mm-hmm. yes. I think that's, in, that's important, when, you know, especially if you've got three or four GCSE classes. Um, you know, it's important that you know, even though they'll have different teachers, that the the, the, the content and uh, of what they're being delivered which is the same it, yeah, just in, in fairness to them really um, I mean in terms of adapting to to what's happening in in, in the news I mean it be a you know, volcanic eruption or um, a tragedy such as uh, what happened in the in the channel the other day um, mm. absolutely I mean that's you, you bring that into the the lesson be it you know through discussion at the start or an appropriate moment uh, and, and that just uh, reinforces the relevance of the subject and uh, and the students are often they enjoy uh, talking about what, what, what they're seeing on the TV or their parents are talking to them about or what they're seeing on the news or um, because it, it just it just makes the subject that more relevant to them and they realise it's not a, you know, a sterile subject they're just learning in the classroom and, and, and just learning it for its own sake. It actually has real world relevance. And obviously that's easy to do with something like the humanities subjects. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actively welcome the, uh, the opportunity to to be you know, be creative and as, as a department we you know we, we we share links to news articles and you know, it's, we, you know we, we use microsoft teams and we've got a, you know, a, a geography staff 
team and you know we'll, we'll post articles to each other saying you know this would be really good to use with year 10 or, or, or whatever mm. um, it, it, of course that you know that brings flexibility into the lessons and different teachers might deliver it in different ways but i mean i i often start especially after a, a half term break and you mentioned the, the colleague asking their um, students what they've done over the holidays i mean i often start with you know what was in the news over the holidays what what was there any geography in the news over the holidays and yes it might be a tragedy like an earthquake somewhere or um and 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 that helps to to bring the subject to life and yeah i, I freak, especially with the older year groups i often start with a, a a quick discussion about what's happening in the wider world yeah and it it must be i mean you mentioned obviously the the awful loss of life in the channel recently and, and something like that um just as teachers who teach re must have to tread very carefully it must be really a really sensitive topic to teach especially if you teach in a school with a very diverse demographic mm. it, it must be you, you must have to think really carefully even though you want to bring in something's happened in the news it must take a lot of thought and preparation about how yeah, you I, I, address I, it I, I i remember um gosh, quite early in my career i was teaching about uh, an earthquake that had happened in turkey um and there was a, um, a student in the class who um well, he told me afterwards that he'd, he'd lost family members in that earthquake and he, and he oh, hadn't said anything during the lesson. Yeah. You know, and I, I immediately was sort of wrapped with guilt. I mean, oh my goodness, did I give it sort of due credence? And I, did I teach it respectfully enough? And I, I hope I did. And he, you know, he wasn't, you know, he, he was approaching me just from a sort of matter of fact, oh, by the way, you know. Um, but yeah, he, I, I, I'm very, very conscious. Um, that if you're teaching, uh, especially about a, a, a tragedy, maybe a natural disaster or a human tragedy, um, that there may, of course, be students who are directly impacted. Um, and for teachers delivering you know, RSHE, for example, or um, a subject like religious studies, then, yeah, ab absolutely, you, you just need to be aware and sensitive to the fact that some of the students may have been more affected by it and, and not, not to teach... Um, Difficult, sensitive, and, and lessons about awful events in a in a, in a, in a sort of glib way, but to treat mm. it for you know this, you know this is not just an event we're discussing. This was a real event, and people were were involved. Um, so yeah, so as a, a as a geographer, I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious. I'm sure colleagues who teach the humanities subjects are are very conscious of uh, the the impact that your lessons have could could be much more powerful for some students than others yeah definitely i mean one of the things that's often said about about my subject you know latin and classics mm. is obviously don't have any of those pressures <laughs> in that sense we are talking about the ancient world but actually so the argument goes and i think there is a, a lot of value in it it actually creates a safe space for students to talk about topics mm. that are very upsetting and difficult and relevant mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to directly to them but because it's so long ago it's okay you know so for example slavery i mean we we address mm -hmm. i i know that in our history department at school mm -hmm. they don't believe that slavery is an appropriate topic for year seven because it's okay. too too difficult mm -hmm. um whereas i mean i'm afraid <laughs> that if you're going to learn about the ancient world um you know there were more slaves than than romans so mm -hmm. um you, you cannot teach them about the ancient world without talking about slavery but because it's the ancient world we can sort of look down that telescope and 
and feel safe talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually bring it up as much as I can because I think it's really important. If you're talking about, oh, weren't the Romans amazing? They created all this stuff. Well, weren't they civilized? Hang on, you know, like I, I, I just constantly drip, drip, drip it in. How was this done? Who was stoking the fire? Who was building the roads? You know, it, it, I think it's really important that they that they know that. And then likewise, natural disasters. So something like yeah. the destruction yeah. of Pompeii by the volcano. I link it into geography as much as my very limited knowledge will allow me. <laughs> um, but actually, it's really good because they do volcanoes yeah. in year eight, and I they learn about the, the eruption in year eight, and they really can linked together really nicely because they've learned about for example Pliny and eruptions exactly. and then I can exactly. tell them who Pliny was and yeah. why they yeah. called yeah. that and, and yeah. it, it, it's it's really fantastic so again actually consistency you know in this ideal world we'd all be doing that in our subjects all the time and I think in secondary school we're not great at that are we no and it's a, it's a bit of a battle I have with some of the kids they especially some of the, the GCSE age students you know they, they like to see their subjects compartmentalized you know, they, yes. they, they've got their syllabus and they know what they need to learn for chemistry and what they need to learn for geography and what they need to learn for history. Mm. Um, and, and, and I, yeah, like, like you, try to, to, to throw in plenty of cross-curricular references. Um, yes. and, and, you know, I remember teaching about earth sciences and earth structure and a student saying to me, oh, but we do this in chemistry. <laughs> like, well, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. It's not compartmentalised into a subject like, yeah. like that. And, um, you know, I, I remember working on a, a project with the English department. We, we were studying about uh, Tanzania in, in, in geography. This was with year eight. Um, and, and we worked with the English department and they they worked on uh, travel writing. Um, so nice. colleagues and I, we taught them about you know, geography of Tanzania and, uh, and, and English uh, talks about travel writing and then it all came together and they produced this piece of project work which was for both subjects this was their english and geography projects and and, and i i think there's real value in that it's uh, it can be quite hard work to set up and to get into the curriculum but uh, when it works well it's it's great it just helps the students just to break down the barriers between the different subjects and to appreciate they are being educated they're not yeah. doing you know, eight nine ten different subjects they are being educated Yes. Um, and, and I feel there's real value in, in cross-curricular projects. And I wish we could do more. Uh, I know it sits easier into some subjects than others, but uh, um, I, I, I wish we uh, had the time to do more. And I'm, it's something that I'm going to try and push for over the next uh, next few years. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, it's again. I mean, we, we're always time poor, aren't we? And, mm. um, but I, I think in an ideal world, it would be so much better. And to you know, fly the classicist flag again. Um, making the point to them that actually this compartmentalizing of subjects is incredibly modern. It's, it, it actually happened so recently. I mean, in the ancient world, there was absolutely no concept of, well, I'm, a, I'm an artsy person or I'm a sciencey person. Yeah, yeah, they just yeah. didn't, they simply didn't have it. You know, so someone like Aristotle, who I quoted right at the start, well, sort of, semi-quoted right at the start of the show he was just interested in everything you know mm. what we would now call a polymath but that was that's what academics were in the ancient yeah, world yeah. and and i think that's true right up until i don't know a, a, a couple of centuries ago really it, it's an incredibly modern concept that there's all these different subjects which we develop carve up and then you've got to choose what you are i mean i remember actually being told at school you're not a scientist I'm thinking, okay, and, and completely accepting it. Yeah, 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 as you do at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and I'm furious about that now, you know, to be yeah. told 
you're not a scientist, you're no good at this. Um, I mean, I wasn't very good in science, but then I had some pretty awful teaching. Um, so who knows? Um, and no one ever talked to me about, I don't know, the fact that science is links to philosophy. So I was a, I was a real philosopher as a child. I was really interested in ideas. And that's why I was drawn to the arts. But if, if a science teacher had taken the time to go, well, actually, science is about big ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's not just about putting little bits of powder into tubes, which is all it seemed to be to me. And likewise, now, coming back to your subject, geography, the pandemic, I mean, how is that impacting in, on how you teach your subject? Or, or do you think it will, in the future, will it be an A-level topic? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, um, there's certainly plenty of areas where you can talk about it. Um, I mean, bear in mind the, the pandemic probably isn't over. It's going to evolve over the next No, time, indeed. Even, certainly. Um so, for example, um, you know, I was talking to an A-level class the other day about urban structure and city centres, and, and yeah. we were just talking about, about office developments. And, and I was posing to them that you know the office in the future is, is, is the whole concept of a an office block is, is that going to be redundant? Mm. Um, you know, with people working from home and working online, and, and of course the pandemic has just just accelerated that. And you know, ultimately, could this affect the, the shape of cities? You know, all, all those tall office blocks in the centre of most cities, but you know, especially in the centre of London and Canary Wharf, I mean, will they be repurposed as, as apartments or as hotels? Or, you know, wh why do we need all this office space being uh, in, yeah. in the centre of our cities? Um, you know, and, and obviously COVID is something they're extremely well versed in and they know about yeah. it, they've lived through it and they've experienced it and they see their parents working at home and they yeah. have that enforced time at home. And um, in fact, we even sort of broadened the discussion out to, do, do, do we need physical school buildings you know, or could we just, could we just be uh, you know uh, in in the cloud um do do, do we need a, a sort of school uh school facilities and and and, and they were you know, they, they got it right uh, and i think what we were concluding was that yes in future there may be plenty more online learning and, and some subjects will lend themselves to that but ultimately schools also form a, a social function and and a, a hub for creativity and interaction and opportunities for physical exercise and so on. So yeah. we, we were saying that in future, maybe the school day will be shorter and people might do their you know, maths and languages lessons online and then and then come into school for the more creative social type subjects. So it was mm -hmm. an interesting debate and, uh, mm -hmm. and um, uh, the students were you know, quite opinionated about it and and quite knowledgeable because they've, you know, they've lived through the pandemic. It's, it's really dominated their their thinking for the, for the last couple of years, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's you know I, I, it kind of horrifies me in a way. I, you know, I look at my year ten class, and I think, gosh, they've not had a, a year unaffected by the pandemic since they were in year seven. Um, yeah, yeah, um, it does. It, their whole so their whole experience of school has been yeah, ab ab absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, but so obviously that's that's linking into urban development, but isn't also the spread of disease an A level topic in human geography? Isn't that right? Um, we don't do it anymore. Um, the, the, when the A levels re reformed a few years ago, we, we uh. for ourselves where we, we don't uh, teach that as a separate module. We used to we used to this geography of health module, which was uh, really interesting. But uh, no, we, we, we don't do that anymore. Um, but there's plenty of opportunities to to, you know, to bring COVID and, as we were saying earlier, other contemporary references into in, in, into your teaching. And I, th I think it's important to do so, um, so mm -hmm. that the students do see. Um, as many subjects as possible as uh, as, as as of relevance and 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 they'll 
they'll be more likely to take an interest and to absorb it and, and see the connections between their own experiences and what they're, what they're learning. Yeah, definitely. Because when we first came back after the big lockdown, mm. and so we're, last year where we were teaching in all different rooms, it's great for having a nose, wasn't it? That was the one good thing about <laughs> it, that I could have a nose at what other departments are up to, which I don't normally get to do because I'm blessed with my own classroom. I'll tell you what, I, I lost so many whiteboard pens during that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walk in, open your drawer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where, where the hell are they yeah absolutely um but it so i was teaching several times in one of the history rooms mm. and there's a display on the wall done the previous year about how the um smallpox vaccine was discovered and okay. you know how we i mean again it sounds fantastically unethical but sort of basically as far as i could gather sort of went around giving cowpox to poor children um <laughs> You know, like, like you could in those days. Um, but yeah, I just thought, whoa, imagine teaching that unit now. So you're talking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, development yeah. of a vaccine and you they could then talk about the ethics of that and, you know, how it, how it was so difficult to create the vaccine quickly mm -hmm. because of those ethics. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I just thought, again, how exciting. So this topic that might have felt very odd in the history curriculum suddenly mm -hmm. will come alive. Immediate relevance, yeah, and a great yeah. opportunity to get get guest speakers in and, yeah. um, extracurricular presentations and you know really to I mean it, it, it could not be of more relevance to to the students at the moment could it so um, yeah mm. I'm, I'm it's something I'm, I'm conscious of because I know very little about uh, the impact of pandemics and the spread of disease in the ancient world but I know it was huge so for example many of the ancient plays talk about it I mean something like Oedipus Rex starts with a plague and you know it was very much known about in the ancient world and sort of talked about so I thought yeah it's something I, I ought to mug up on you know what was the last big pandemic in Roman times and yeah. and, and see if that if that's relevant to some of the areas I'm, I'm touching on at the moment because yeah I ought to be bringing it in really but it's, it's a real sort of area of ignorance for me. Mm -hmm. how, yeah. how do you find online teaching is it something uh, you were able to too uh, quickly did the students respond to it uh, i think it was easy because fundamentally i teach latin not actually classics history and all obviously i try and bring that in but actually for teaching a dead language it wasn't too bad mm -hmm. because ultimately you're learning to read it write it and that lends itself quite well to online stuff um that said of course there's always going to be that certain group of students that didn't respond well to it and didn't, sure. didn't access it didn't have the um support or infrastructure at home you know some families were had three kids and one laptop and how the hell you managed that i well you didn't um so i think um i think for my subject it was easier than others on the other hand it was just me on my own mm. and so I was watching, so I'm part of a languages department and watching the, you know, the Spanish teachers of which there are several divvy out, oh, you do those three, I'll do, mm. and I couldn't do that. I had to do yeah. every single That's lesson yeah. myself. Yeah. And that was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. You were able to share the load, I assume. Yeah, um, to an extent, yeah. Um, I mean, the technology worked, the vast majority of the kids engaged well um some of them had difficulties clearly and i know some would do lessons on their mobile phones and i mean it was 
far from ideal, but I think we we coped probably as well as as well as we could. I I found it a rather sterile experience. I, I must admit, and because uh, you oh, lost totally, that, yeah. that interactivity and um, you know that sort of classroom dy- dynamism and, 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 and the buzz. And you know, one of the things I really noticed was the lesson would end, and then you know, in my apartment at home, it, uh, uh, silence. Whereas normally a lesson ends and it's break time and you have that yeah. background, you know, lovely noise of you know people shrieking on the playground and, and that we're just so used to. And uh, I, I found it quite eerie not not to to be in that sort of buzzy, dynamic workplace that that, that, that schools are. And uh, I, I I really missed it. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I hope we don't have to go there. But um, no, and also I I was very conscious that the pressure on senior leaders and um, some middle leaders, so heads of year in particular, mm. who were obviously managing some very, very painful situations in certain students' homes. Yeah. Um, but I think the pressure on, and, and I mean, that partic- that first lockdown where the government were just hurling changes at schools relentlessly, like the pressure you were under as school leaders, I, I cannot even imagine. Can I tell you what I spent my New Year's Eve doing? Oh, please do. <laughs> uh, well, we were essentially setting up a, um, well, a, a testing centre in the school. So we, we decided to use the biology labs. Um, we'd have lorry loads of PPE and test kits and screens and instructional videos sent to us. Um, and myself and a couple of colleagues and, and, and the health team so we had to set up um, for, for the, what was going to be the January return, um, essentially a, a, a little field hospital. And I thought this is, it was just one of those outer body moments. This <laughs> is not what I'm trained to, to do. But, no. Uh, um, but we got it all set up. And, uh, and then, and then they, yeah. January the 4th, I think. So we had an insert day. So the staff yeah. were in. Um, and then they sent us all home again, didn't they? We had a, yeah. a few... Um, key work students in so so we tested them so you know and spreadsheets and you know how the kids were going to move through the school and where they were going to wait where they're going to test it and what you know, if they're positive they go here and, and so on and, you know and we'd spend three full days working all that out including new year's eve mm. I'm about it. um got home which was, was it eight o'clock that evening johnson stood up yeah. and uh, yeah said, right shows off and, yeah, I, just, I know. I, I mean, um, I'll, I'll confess, I opened a bottle of wine at that point. And yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, well, it's looking uh, looking like we'll be doing it again in January. Well, and, yes, there was something I knew so. this morning about. Yes, yeah, so, well, looking again. forward to that. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God. Well, Richard, you have been an amazing guest. Thank you oh, so much for coming. So that's really kind of you. Uh, well, it's been lovely to have you, but I do I do have just one more question for you before mm-hmm. we finish, if that's okay. So hang in there. Yep. Um, as ever, it's been a pleasure this morning. I hope you'll join me again on Teachers Talk Radio. Later today, we have Joseph Hammond at one o'clock and Jane Manzoni after that at three. So Richard, my final question to you, mm-hmm. given the complexity, such a, like we've been talking about geography, such a complex subject, fast-paced, ever-changing, got to keep constantly up to date with what's going on in an evolving world. Given all of that, how difficult is it in your experience to teach kids how to colour inside the lines? You know what? It's all colouring in capital cities, isn't it? And uh, we talked <laughs> earlier about the, you know, the, the, 
the, the governors walking past the door as I was, uh, you know, <laughs> year nine diving to the tables. Um, some parents were being shown around the day, and I actually had my year 13s. Um, and I, I will confess, they were colouring something in. Uh, or, or <laughs> of course they were. It's all you gra- do. Graded shading, as we call it. Um, <laughs> they were doing it brilliantly well. It was relevant to their learning. Um, and But I did say, I, I said, okay, kids, you know, I know you've chosen A-level geography. We, you know, sorry about the lack of colouring so far, but uh, we'll do a secret colouring <laughs> lesson. You mustn't tell anybody. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much, Richard. Take hey, no care. Problem, lovely speech, Emma. Thank you. Lovely speech to you. Bye. Ah, oh, fantastic. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.